I want to thank you, Holy Spirit, for being here. Thank you for your presence. I sense you drawing us already, wooing, calling. It's as though, like in the Song of Solomon, you're looking through the lattice. You're, you're wanting access, greater access into our lives, into our hearts. You are looking for a people now in the earth, Lord, that will worship you in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking. He's looking down. He's searching for those who will worship you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, you've called us. Many here, you've called already. We've answered the invitation, Lord. We're heading for a great supper, a feast, one day in heaven where we will be united with you for all of eternity. We are in the process of being betrothed to you and prepared for you as a bride, Lord, your church, a people from all tribes, from all tongues, from all nations, Lord. You're still gathering them in, Lord. You're still calling. The voice of the bridegroom is still going forth in the earth, Lord. And Lord, although we have responded, Lord, there's still things, greater things you want to reveal about yourself. There's greater things you want to do in your bride and for your bride that she might truly shine. Shine forth your praise in the earth, Lord, that you might be glorified in and through your people. God, make it real to us. What our calling is and the call that has been given to us, each one of us, Lord. Prepare the way in our hearts, Jesus, for that day. Prepare the way in our hearts, Lord, for the greater work you want to do inside of us, Lord. Remove all the obstacles. Remove all the hindrances, Lord. Give us ears to hear, but also hearts that will obey and do what you're saying, Lord. Help us to respond in a greater way, Lord. So God, I trust, God, for you to speak to us. I trust you to anoint this word, God. Let it bring forth your will, your purpose in every heart that hears these words, your words. So Holy Spirit, have your way. Open up the understanding of hearts and minds. Not only here in this place, anyone listening online, open the eyes, open the understanding that we might know the things you're wanting us to know, Lord. So thank you, God. Have your way and speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to just start here in verse 1 in Revelation chapter 4. And as I read this, I want us to understand that this is happening right now. It's always happening. It's going to happen for all of eternity, what we are reading in this chapter. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, Come up here. I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, there was a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like the appearance of a, a, a jasper or a sardis stone in appearance. There was a rainbow all around the throne in the appearance like an emerald. And around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightning, thunderings, voices, seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. And the first living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And these four living creatures, each having six wings, 
We're full of eyes all around and within, and they do not cease. Right now, they do not cease. Crying out, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And I want to say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And whenever these living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne, and they worship him. They worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Hallelujah. That needs to be so real to us when we're worshiping him. But not just when we're in a meeting, not when we're just in a service, singing together. There is something about the people of God worshiping together and joining in in the same spirit, giving praise and honor. There's an atmosphere that's created, and it makes it easier. It helps others maybe to enter in and to get a glimpse of this glorious king, this throne, and somehow in our hearts we're bowing before him, giving praise and glory, joining in with the heavenly hosts. But God wants to make us worshipers like that all the time. That's what he's after. And when you think about it, as the bride of Christ, the more that reality sinks in, and the more we come to know him, understand who he is, and really that's what we're going to be looking at today, like what has to happen? Okay, we've been betrothed, but we should now be grown. We've gotten a sight of him. We, we understood somewhat the invitation. We answered the invitation. We've entered into this glorious relationship, but we've only scratched the surface of who this great king is, who this great merciful God is. And like Paul, our hearts should be yearning to know him more and more and more to the point where our lives all the time are overflowing with praise and adoration and worship for him. And that's really what this psalm is a picture of. I shared a little bit from this psalm last week, or I guess the week before, last week. But this psalm is a marriage song to the king. This whole psalm. And it's about Jesus. It's not about King Solomon. It's not about King David. It is about Jesus, the reigning king who was to come. And it's a picture of his bride, his people, that he calls from every tribe, from every nation, and the song that bubbles up out of them. That's basically what this song, this psalm is, just a bubbling up out of the reality that this bride is living in. And it illustrates, uh, you know, again, the Messiah, and it points him as the bridegroom espousing the church to himself. And that's what he's been doing, people. He's espousing us more and more and more and more. And now, I might finish this message with a warning, okay? I don't know why, but as we were worshiping, it was like the Spirit was speaking to me already, are they hearing my voice? Are they hearing my voice? Are they responding to me? Are you responding to me? Because there is another aspect to this. If we're not pursuing, if we're not knowing him more and more, there's a danger that we fall away from what we even know. And we might look at that in two weeks. The danger of losing the first love, the danger of coming, losing sight 
of the reality of this glorious king that we're wedded to and, and setting our eyes on worthless things and not living a life full of joy and praise that's just bubbling out of our hearts for him. But let's look at this psalm. Okay, I'm just going to start here in verse 1. It says, To the chief musician set to the lilies, a contemplation of the sons of Korah, a song of love. And now listen to the words. My heart is overflowing with a good theme. I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. I think that's what it said. Yeah. In other words, so it's like almost like the psalm is bursting forth out of a heart that just can't contain what is going on inside. And I'm telling you, that's what God's after for us all the time. My heart is overflowing. It's just bubbling over with the reality of this king and the love he's revealed to me and, and the things I'm coming to know about him because it's not just his love. It's all of his attributes. And we'll see this psalm gets into that. He's not just my lover. He's a glorious king. He's mighty. He's ruling. He's ringing. His kingdom is forever and ever and ever. And there's all these different aspects about this glorious king that has wed himself to me. It's amazing. And when it's real, your heart, like this, the psalm, it's just overflowing. My heart's just overflowing with a good theme. Well, what's the theme? It's him. If our worship isn't centered around him, then what is it? Right? So that's the theme. It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's the message of the cross. That's the theme. And so I recite my composition concerning the king. My tongue is a, a pen of a ready writer. In other words, my mouth is just an instrument for God to take hold of. And because he's got a hold of my heart, my tongue's like a pen. And it just writes, it says the things he wants me to say. And I'm just telling you, that is the goal of God for you. That he would get such a hold of your heart that everything that comes out of your mouth would glorify him. That's why James talks about the tongue and he's like, if you could get a hold of that, you got it. The problem is the heart. And, and he wants to conquer our heart. He wants to win every part of our heart to the point where our mouths become an instrument of praise, of worship, to speak the things of God. And that is so needed right now. It is so needed right now. People need to hear his voice through his people. People that are in love, people that are caught up worshiping him all the time. And whenever they get around people, they can't help to talk about him and to tell people about this glorious king. That's what he wants. Because true worship flows from a heart that is overflowing with love. It just does. And a reverence, a reverence for him. Understanding who he is and who we are. John 4, verse 23 says, The hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. This was Jesus talking to the woman at the well who was basically looking to every other relationship to fulfill her heart, which really is a picture kind of of what we talked about two weeks ago, just the harlotry of, of God's people always looking to other lovers. And Jesus found this woman, and he's basically telling her, I'm the one. I'm the water. I'm what you're thirsting for. And so that's what this is speaking of. And he's saying, like, you don't even know what you worship. At least the Jews know what they worship, but even their worship it's just an outward form. It's not what I'm after, what I'm looking for. And what's coming is worshipers that worship him in spirit and truth. And it's not going to be in Jerusalem. It's not going to be here. It's going to be here. 
in our hearts. The Father is seeking such to worship him because God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So now in the next few verses here, we see a description that only comes out of a true seeker after God. You cannot get this knowledge from somebody else. This only comes by spending time with him, looking at him, meditating on him, letting him reveal himself to you through his word, by the Holy Spirit. It's someone that has spent time in the inner chamber with him. And so that's what these verses are going to describe. You are fairer than the sons of men. In other words, the psalmist is helping us to understand something. This is not a mere man we're talking about. You are fairer than the sons of men. Okay? Jesus isn't just another God. Okay? He's not just wasn't a man. He's God incarnate. He's the God of the universe. He's the God who created us. He is not a mere man, my husband. He's not a mere man. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. In other words, his mouth, the things he says, what I was just saying about God's greatest goal for us is to get a hold of our hearts in such a way that what we say will be his words, words seasoned with grace and salt and light and life. That's what Jesus was. It says he was full of grace and truth. It says when people heard him, they were astonished. They had never heard words like his. We get a description in the Song of Solomon where, where she's describing him. She says, his mouth is so sweet. In other words, I've never heard things that he has spoken. Deep things that no one else has ever spoken to me. Grace is poured upon your lips. Therefore, God has blessed you forever. In other words, his grace, his favor is something that lasts forever. You understand? It's not like the things of this world. It lasts forever. So in him, we see the perfection of beauty. If you want to see perfection, you have to look at him. Right? We, we understand, looking at us, looking at things of the world, we're not going to see perfection. But he is the ultimate of perfection. He is altogether lovely, right? He's altogether lovely. And the excellence of Christ isn't human excellence that we would think of, right? I mean, what did Isaiah 53 say? Obviously, physically, there wasn't outward physical trace that they said, oh, now that is the perfect man. I mean, look at his features. Look at everything about his hair, everything. It's just perfect. But yet, when the Shulamite describes him in the Song of Solomon, she describes him with words that would help us to understand that he is so beautiful inwardly that this, my only way to describe him is like this, and I'm going to read that in a little bit. In other words, it's like, it, it's like you can't even put it into words, but it's his, it's his character, it's his inner quality, it's who he is that is of excellence and beauty. It's, it's so far beyond what the world says beauty is. It really, it really is. Because the world is so tainted. But, but here's the key. You need eyes to see that. The human eye can't see that beauty. And that's why in Isaiah 53 it says, who has believed our report? You know, he has no form of comeliness. There's nothing about him. In other words, who has actually seen? Who understands who he really is? Right? I think it's Romans 2 says... You can't understand. The natural reason why I cannot understand the things of God. It, it's spiritual, and, and the Spirit has to reveal those things. So the natural eye can't see. And Jesus said 
In John 9, 39, for judgment I have come into this world that those who do not see may see and those who, may, who see may be blind. In other words, those who think they see. And, and he was talking to the, about the religious people of the day. But yet he's saying those that are sincere, those that, that understand they, their need, they're going to see. Their eyes are going to be opened. And that's what happens when we're truly born again. Our eyes are open. We see. We understand. So this is important. Those who seek him and trust him, Jesus will reveal himself. So I'll just read John uh, 14. He who has my commandments, verse 21, and keeps them, it is he who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. So what we see is if we want to see more, if we want to know him more, we have to live in a life of obedience. We have to be walking as he walked. We, we have to come under the head, which is Christ, our husband. We have to be submissive, obedient wives to our husband. We have to do the things he says for us to do. And when we do that, he's able to reveal more and more and more of himself to us. Now, these next few verses are important for us to stand in light of the days we're living. Because these verses get more into his majesty and really his position. Okay? And we need both, right? We, we can't just see our God, our king, as a lover, okay? Although he does want us to see him that way. But we also have to understand he's Lord. He's a king, and what that means, okay? Otherwise, we won't reverence him the way we need to. We won't submit to him. We'll bring him down to our level somehow. So he has to be Lord, okay? So now these next uh, few verses really describe that because it's describing this king. Verse 3, gird your sword upon your thigh, O mighty one. With your glory and majesty, and in your majesty, ride prosperously because of truth, humility, and righteousness. And your right hand shall teach you awesome things. Your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies, and the peoples fall before you. These are frightening verses about our king. It's talking about the coming king who is coming, who has a double-edged sword that comes out of his mouth. And I'm just going to read out of Revelation 19 because this is what it's describing. This is our husband. This is our king. Revelation 19, verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and he makes war. He's not coming back as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. His eyes were like a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. That's who your husband is. Okay? That needs to be real. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Praise the Lord. Now, I, I want to say something, okay? As we enter into this relationship with the Lord, it always starts out with the cross, Always. And, and we should never, ever, ever lose sight of that. Okay? 
That's why Paul said, I preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. That, that should always be at the center of our testimony. Even when we're speaking to people, we should always be proclaiming the gospel, okay? And, and so that needs to be real to us. But as his bride, we have to get past loving him because of what he did for me, okay? It has to grow into the reality of who he is, what his attributes are, what his kingdom is all about, and what my part in that is, because I'm his wife. He's asking me basically to join him in his life, which means now I am going to be doing what he does. I'm going to be a part of what his kingdom does. So I have to be learning who he is so that I understand my place and I understand what I'm called to do and be as his bride. So this is important, okay? So Philippians 2, in verse 5, it talks about um, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, right? And so absolutely, we need to walk in humility. We need to let go of our position in this world. We need to become like him, humble, a servant, even to the point of bearing our own cross, okay? But we also have to understand this, because in verse 9 it says, because he humbled himself, because of what he did, God has also exalted him, highly exalted him, given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on the earth, those under the earth. Again, another description that we need to lay hold of of who our king is. That every tongue which should confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now the exhortation to us is, therefore, my beloved, you, my betrothed, my beloved, work out, I'm sorry, um, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We sang a song earlier, and I think the words were something like, no one can worship for me. No one can worship you for me. Okay? And I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. Okay, people? God is really helping us. I don't know if you understand how much he's trying to help us. Okay? And we are blessed. Okay? We are blessed. Rose and I are blessed with the people God has brought to this body. We are blessed. You know why? Because you guys get it. You get it. You understand, mostly, the days we live. You understand the narrow way. You understand somewhat what's expected. You've answered the call, and as best as you know how, you're trying to walk that narrow way. But like me, okay, like us, we're still struggling to do that, aren't we? We're still pulled. We're still distracted. We still lose sight, even with everything that's going on, even with everything God has been trying to do to wake us up, to, to get our eyes on him, to, to be pressed in like never before. We're still dull a little bit, right? So we need to start working out our own salvation here. That means we got to do business personally, it's one thing to come together. It's one thing to get worked up or the Spirit of God is here and He shakes us up and we, we get it a little more. We, we see a little bit more and we're like, man, what, what is wrong with me? What was I thinking or whatever? But we leave and by Monday or Tuesday, we're already waning. But it's because we're not throwing logs on the fire. It's because we're not stirring the fire. We're not going after Him the way we need to be. We have to own that for ourselves. We have to own that. And I'm putting myself in, in those same shoes, okay? Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining or disputing, okay? 
that God doesn't like murmuring, that you may become blameless, harmless children of God without faults in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, which we are definitely living in. Why? So you shine as lights. So you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of light, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. That's my heart for you guys. I want you to make it. I want to make it. <laughs> She's laughing. It's true. You don't understand. I'm always like, I got two fingers pointing at me all the time because I know what I'm still like. It's like, what's wrong with me? But God's faithful. One thing I know, God is faithful. And if you want to be kept, he will keep you. But we do have to make choices, okay? And, and that's why it's so important. The body is so important. It's so important to be involved in one another's life. It's so important to be exhorting one another, encouraging one another. But it's also so important to go after God yourself. And then tell other people about your king and what he showed you, what the things he revealed to you. Let it just come out of you. All right. Because the bride of Christ needs to shine in this hour. She needs to shine, proclaim the coming king. This is why, verse 5, your arrows are sharp in the heart of the king's enemies and the people fall under you. People, there is a great judgment coming. It's coming, okay? I, I couldn't help but think about Psalm 2 as I was reading these verses and, and just what's going on in the world. What we see, you understand, what we see in Israel, it's this. It's the nations raging against God. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? Really? You're going to destroy Israel? Really? Good luck. Because God says something about that. It's not going to go well for you. The kings of the earth set themselves. The rulers take counsel together. But you understand, it's against the Lord. Against the Lord, against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces. Cast away their cores from us. And it says, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. Then he shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Hallelujah. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. He's been exalted. All authority has been given to him. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, here's the warning, be wise, O kings. Anyone who is resisting him, anyone who is resisting the truth right now in the earth, anyone here, anyone listening, take heed. Be wise, O kings. Be instructed, you judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are those who put their trust in him. Blessed are those. So all the enemies of Messiah one day will be chastised and will fall before this mighty king. But this falling of Christ can be our own bowing. That's the exhortation giving it. Better to fall on the rock than to have the rock fall on you, right? So as his bride, that should be our posture, falling, renouncing every other Lord and lover, embracing him as our Savior, as our Lord, as our head, as our husband. That's what it means to bow to him, to kiss the sun. It's a, a solemn giving up of my whole being to him to be saved by him, but also to serve him. Because verse 6, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. And, and he's just here in this verse reiterating, this is no ordinary man. 
This is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Verse 7, you love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. All your garments are scented with mirth and aloes and cassia. Out of the ivory palaces by which they have made you glad, king's daughters are among your honorable women. At your right hand stands the queen in gold from Ophir. And really, this is just, I'm not going to get into all of this. Again, another picture of this glorious king and all the precious souls, all the people he wants to gather in as his bride. You and me. And, and we can be referenced as sister, daughter, betrothed. They all denote the same thing. It's all speaking of those he will draw unto himself. So the, the message to us then in verse 10 is, so listen, O daughter, you who he's called, you who he continues to call, you who maybe have not even answered the call, listen, consider, incline your ear to the things you're, you're hearing. Forget your own people. Forget your father's house. So the king will desire your beauty because he is your Lord. Worship him. Worship him. So to be a true worshiper of God in spirit and truth is to have this song of love, to have this reverence, to have a heart that is wholly given up to him. It's to have eyes that see and, and understand more and more and more who this glorious king is. It's to walk with him in obedience. It's to do his word. It's, it's learning the, the joy of abiding in his love. And as you're, you're walking with him in this way, that song, it's just there. It just bubbles up out of your life. As in marriage, right, what does a bride do? She, she has no problem leaving her home, right? All her relationships. I know my wife, when we came to Kentucky, she had to walk away from everything. She understood, you know, I, I'm, we're, we're one. We're serving God together. Where he goes, I go. As hard as it was for her, but she understood it was the Lord, leading and guiding us. And so she came on there, even though it was hard, but yet the joy, the knowledge, all that God has done, that, that's what we don't understand. We always see what we're giving up. We always see, it's so hard for us to let go of relationships and this and that, but we don't understand what awaits us because he cannot reveal himself to those who refuse to surrender everything to him. You might get a taste here and there. You might come into a service and get touched because other people are praying for you and holding faith over a meeting. So you get to experience him a little bit, but you're not owning it for yourself because you haven't surrendered. You're still holding back. Jesus said, he that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And I'm just going to read this. This is from a commentator. The bulk of so-called Christians who are playing at being Christians have never penetrated into the depths of the all-sufficiency of his love. In other words, that he is everything I need. People that play church, they don't understand that, and that's why they're still running after everything else. They haven't plunged into the depths of the knowledge of who this glorious king is. And that he truly satisfies the hungry soul. He really does. But you'll never know that until you put away all those other loves. You will never know it and start responding to him. Because they lack surrender to the king they profess to love. They have enough religion to make them uncomfortable. I remember what that's like. Like, you know it's true, but you know you're not where you need to be. That's a miserable place to be. It really is. 
um, they have enough religion to make them uncomfortable. They must not do this because they know it's forbidden. They ought to do that because it's commanded, but they'd really rather do the forbidden thing. Let that sink in a little bit. Does that describe you? Well, yeah, I know I can't do those things, but I'd still like to. But I don't do it because, yeah, God said don't do it. If that's what's motivating you, that's not going to keep you. Okay? It's a love for him and a fear for him that will keep you from sin and giving your heart to anything else. So they live in the twilight. We see it all the time. Many are just totally in darkness. And you can see it. You can hear it when they speak, when you ask them their testimony. There's nothing there. You could tell they don't know him. They're still in darkness or, or they're just in twilight. And we might look at that next time, that whole idea of being in bed with the world and just out of it. And God trying to rouse us and get us up. But that's, that's what we have a lot in the church. They're just people in twilight or in darkness. They don't understand the blessed experience of the man or woman who really walks in the light of Christ's face. They miss the blessing that is waiting for them because they really have not given themselves up. That's something to like really contemplate. If you don't have joy, if you are not growing in your knowledge of him, it's because you're holding back something in your heart. And you need to start asking God, God, search me. What is it? What is it that I'm still holding on that I think is more important than you? What is it? Show me. He's faithful. If you pray like that, like Psalm 139, those last two, he will show you. But then you got to repent and, and put it away. And you know what his pledge is to you? The soul that forgets his own people, the soul that puts away all the other lovers, you know what his promise is? The king, his love will not be withheld from you. Amen. Praise the Lord. That's why Paul could say, I, I can count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, for whom I have suffered all the loss of all things. Paul got, and, and his heart was, so I press on more and more and more to know this king, this glorious king. I just feel led to pray, Lord, get, get that in us more. I almost want to say it in a way that takes the responsibility off of us, but I know we have some responsibility but, Lord, I'm asking it anyway. I know the psalmist in Psalm 119 prayed, make me obey your commandments. So it's in your word. God, make us. Make us love you the way we ought to. Lord, make us seekers after your face the way we ought to be. Lord, make us. Lord, cast our idols to the bats. Lord, make us to gaze upon you that we might know you, that we might, like the Apostle Paul, count all things rubbish, lost, like a pile of dung compared to knowing you. God, make it real to us, Lord. We need help, God. We need the Spirit to do a work in us in this hour we're living, God. The Spirit of this world is suffocating your people. God, we need you to come down. We need you to move in a greater way in our midst, God. We need you to take greater possession of our hearts, Lord. So we're asking today, we're crying out to you, Lord. That's your will anyway, Lord. You said if we pray anything according to your will, you do it. God, give us that desire. Amen. So our heart can be so full of you. We'll just worship you. Your life will just bubble out of us, Lord. Would you please do that for us, Lord? And I trust you to do it in Jesus' name. That I might be fully acquainted with his nature, his character, his work, 
with the salvation that he's purchased that the angels even want to peer into the depths. Spiritual knowledge will be personal knowledge. In other words, what you, what God is able to reveal to you as you seek him, that's yours. You own it. No one can take that from you. Something you've learned from someone else can be gone like that. God wants to give you personal knowledge of who he is. And he's entreating you to seek him. He's entreating you to surrender more of your heart to him. Because you're going to need it. You, you are going to need to know him in a much greater way if we're going to stand in this hour. I don't say that to scare you. There will be a great falling away. There will be many love who waxes cold with the things that are coming on the earth that I believe will still be here for. I don't think we're whisked out before it gets bad. We are at some point, but whatever. Let the theologians figure that out. I think we're going to go through some things. And we're going to need to be caught up with him. Okay? So spiritual knowledge of Christ will be a personal knowledge. I cannot know Jesus through another person's acquaintance. That's kind of what I was saying earlier. Um, I must know him for myself. I must know him on my own account. An ounce of heart knowledge is worth a ton of head knowledge. I had to interview a guy that we're considering removing his certification. He's a pastor. And we had like a two-hour meeting to try and figure out like what's going on. Like do we pull his certification, do we not? I had a headache by the time we were done. And all I thought was this is like way too complicated, way too intellectual. Like we have made church all about just an intellectual having everything laid. I mean, it was insane. And you know what was missing? There was no love. It was like ice. And even one of our board members said afterwards, man, it was like ice. That's what head knowledge does. We need revelation. We need God to open our hearts. Now, I'm not against studying. I studied for this message. You want me to do that, right? You don't want me just coming up with some weird... So there's a value in that, but I pray, okay? I pray a lot in tongues, okay? Because it edifies me. It helps me. And somehow when I do that, I open up the word and, and God is able to speak to me clearer. I pray, God, open your word. Lord, I don't understand this. Help me. I, I'm not that interested in what all these commentators are saying. Although I look at other commentators. I study the words. I find out what things mean. Because I want to make sure I'm rightly dividing the word of truth. But my prayer always is, God, we need a word from you. We need a word from heaven. We need the spirit to speak to us. Because mere head knowledge is not going to accomplish anything. It's got to go in here. So an ounce of heart knowledge is worth a ton of head learning, and I've seen a lot of that. I've seen a lot of it. When I know my Savior, my mind will be full to the brim. I will feel that I have that which my spirit has panted after. This is the bread that if a man eats, he will never hunger. At the same time, it will be exciting knowledge. In other words, I want more and more and more. Even though it satisfies, I want more and more and more. It, it makes me, and, and I remember this saying, you know, people say, oh, I read my Bible. It's just not, I'm just not a hungry. I just, well, you're not going to be hungry if you don't eat it. The more you eat it, the more hungry you'll be. Okay? I'm not mad. I'm just <laughs> saying it. Um, I get taken wrong a lot of times. Um, you will be a hungry Bible reader when you're reading it. Okay? Simple. So come, my soul, sit at Jesus' feet and learn of him this day. 
because he's your Lord. Worship him. He's your Lord. And you know what will happen? Verse 12, the daughter of Tyre will come with a gift. The rich among the people will seek your favor. This is talking about, it's a picture of the world. It's a picture of the Gentile world will begin to want to seek Jesus. The royal daughter is all glorious within the palace. Her clothing is, clothing is woven with gold. She will be brought to the king in robes of many colors. The virgins, her companions, will follow her. She shall be brought to you with gladness and rejoicing. They shall be brought. They will enter the king's palace. So that's really just where we're headed, okay? And, and that needs to be real to us, especially in the days we're living. That's a picture of the wedding, okay? We're all going to be clothed. That's what we read about in Revelation and even later on in Revelation. Clothed in white robes, fine linens, and all the companions and all the virgins. We're all going to come together one day to this great marriage feast. But God wants others. He doesn't want us to keep this knowledge to ourselves. Verse 16 says, instead of your fathers shall be your sons, whom you shall make princes in all the earth. I will make your name to be remembered in all generations. Therefore, the people shall praise you forever and forever. So he's addressing the bridegroom here, and he's basically saying, because of this, because of what you've done, you've done. There's going to be a glorious company from all tribes, from all nations that are going to come together one day and they're going to worship you. They're going to praise you forever and ever. Again, that's where we're headed. That needs to be real to us now, okay? My heart is overflowing with a good theme. Is your heart overflowing with a good theme today? Will it be tomorrow? Will it be on Tuesday? That's what God is after. And he wants you to know, it says in 1 Peter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So we are here to proclaim his praises. We're here to worship him. And really, this whole psalm is what God is after right now in his people. He, that's what the call's all about. That's why he's been dealing with us so much, really, the last three years. Because we haven't been in this place. And it's because we're still going after the wrong things. We're still not maybe fully surrendered to him. We're still not seeking his face the way we should be. So my heart for you this morning is, I almost could see myself pleading with you, but it's the Lord pleading with you to respond more to the bridegroom's voice that's been calling you, that you know has been calling you, but you're still, just like me, you're still you're still, I'm still grabbing this, grabbing that. Not worshiping and not bubbling over all the time the way I should be. I'm believing God's going to help us. When our affections are properly moved, there will be a freeness or a loosening of your mouth to tell other people or when you come in here. Like, we shouldn't have to work two songs to get us into the place where we begin to enter in. We should walk in this building, and because we've been in it all week, that should just come out of us. It really should. That's what God's after. That's what it means to be full of the Holy Spirit. So we must press on to know him. So I'm going to finish it with this. Um, if there's anyone here, and I don't think there is, but 
only the Lord knows, but maybe listening online. You haven't answered the invitation. You're, you're still rebelling against the truth. My advice to you is kiss the son, lest he be angry. There is a day coming, a day of judgment coming. And, and if you don't kiss the son, if you don't respond to the bridegroom's voice, it's no different than when Jesus was here in the flesh. And, and John the Baptist heard him and said, I'm rejoicing. I hear the voice of the bridegroom. He's calling for his bride. He's calling for sinners. He's calling for you and I, people that at heart are harlots, that have gone after everything else but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, right, even when we were his enemies, came and made a way for us. So if there's anyone here today... I want to invite you to come and kiss the sun. In other words, repent. Repent of your rebellion. Repent of, of continuing to go after sin and to rebel against the word of God. And embrace the cross. Embrace this king that laid his life down for you, that shed his blood for you, so that you can be forgiven and, like we said two weeks ago, made a pure, chaste virgin for Christ. He wants you. As dirty as you might be, he wants you. His heart aches for you. Maybe he's been calling you in, in a million different ways. But if he's speaking to you today, and I'm going to ask us to stand, and we might, Josh, sing uh, that song uh, to finish because I want us to respond today as well but if there's any here for that first call um, just come down to this altar and it's simple um, confess your sins repent and, and surrender your life to God okay so if there's anyone here today anyone online please don't harden your heart if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you you know you know you don't know him. You know uh, you're, you're not in a right relationship with God. He's here. He's able to save your soul. He's able to wash you. So come to him today. Come to this mighty king and, and have your sins forgiven. Give your life to him. He has a future for you. He has a hope for you. This world is passing away very quickly. Anything can happen. This world, like my wife said the other day, is like a tinderbox. The time is getting short. The door will be shut one day. Please do not resist the Holy Spirit. If you're at home, get on your knees. Say, God, forgive me. I know I've disobeyed you. I know I've done things I shouldn't have done. I know I'm not right with you, but God, have mercy on me. God, forgive me. I need forgiveness. Lord, I repent of my sins. Wash me, cleanse me. I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you came and died for me. And I want to give you my life. I surrender. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to come and live your life in me. I want to join my life to your life. Just cry out to him wherever you are. He'll hear that cry. He'll answer that cry. He'll wash you. He'll cleanse you. He'll come and live inside of you. He'll open your eyes so you can see and know him. And so, Lord, I pray that right now for anyone responding to you. But, Lord, for us, your bride, I want to ask this morning that we would not be like the people in Jeremiah in his day, chapter 2. I'm going to read this to you. And if you feel like you need to respond, you need to respond. Okay? This is for those that he's been calling, he's been speaking, but you're still not responding the way you need to be. Okay? And this is a warning to you from the Lord because he loves you. He's obviously speaking this to the children of Israel. But this is a word to us today. 
just, just as much as it was to them. I mean, I could read you New Testament scripture if you want, but this is what the Lord laid on my heart. I'll start here in verse 29. Will, will you plead with me? You all have transgressed against me, says the Lord. In vain I have chastened your children. They receive no correction. Your sword has devoured your prophets like a destroying lion. In other words, whenever I tried to speak to you through people, you, you dishonored them, discredited them. You did whatever you could so you didn't have to listen to what I was saying. Oh, generation. This has got, oh, generation. Seek the word of the Lord. Have I been a wilderness to Israel or a land of darkness? In other words, haven't I been good to you? Why do my people say we are lords? Why do you say you can run your life? You're in charge. Why do you do that? Your life's not your own anymore. You've been betrothed to another. He's Lord. Why do you say you're Lord? Will we come no more to you? Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride or attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Oh, God, have mercy. We could all be guilty of that, Lord. Oh, God. Why do you beautify your way to seek love? Why, why are you putting your efforts to attract the world? Therefore, you have also taught the wicked woman your ways. Also on your skirts is found the blood of the lives of the poor innocents. In other words, when we're not living, it affects other people. It could be affecting people in your family. People maybe at work that are looking at you that know you're a Christian. The blood of the lives of the poor innocents. I have not found it by secret search, but plainly on all these things. Yet because you say, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I'm doing okay. I mean, okay, I'm not perfect, but you know, don't be like King Saul and point out the things you are doing when God is saying, but you've rebelled against me here. You've been disobedient here. The good or what you do here doesn't take away the rebellion over here. Because you say I am innocent, surely his anger shall turn from me. Behold, I will plead my case against you because you say I have not sinned. Why do you gad about so much to change your way? So what I want to finish today is I really want to pray with some of you because if you have struggled and you still have areas in your life that you know you keep picking up or you've been disobedient, God is saying it's time to, to be done with it. But you're not going to do it in your own strength. He's looking for a willing heart, but you also have to surrender, okay? You have to mean business. You have to make yourself accountable. You have to start um, allowing people into your life. You have to welcome the correction of God. And then you have to make decisions. You're going to have to make decisions to be a seeker of God like we've been looking at so that your life will become a life that's just overflowing with worship and So, Lord, I just pray right now, Lord. I feel like I, I could respond to this, but maybe there's some here, there's something besetting or just an area they've struggled with over and over. Today, Lord, you want to help them. 
Lord, and I'm asking, God, that you'd convict, but you'd also encourage them to come to your throne of grace so that you can help them in their, their time of need. That's, that's your promise. You never convict us to condemn us, Lord. So I just pray right now, Lord, draw us. Draw anyone here, anyone online, Lord, that it's time. I want to be like this person or people that penned this psalm. I want that to be my testimony all the time. But I know something has to change. So, Lord, I'm coming to you today. And once again, I'm laying it at your feet. So anyone here, we're going to sing this song. I want you to come down this altar, and I want you to do your own business with God. This is personal. This is between you and him, and then we're going to pray for you, okay? Now, there's other people in here I've already talked to that need prayer for healing, and so we're going to pray for you as well, okay? So make sure uh, at some point you come up, and I know who you are. We'll pray for you as well for that, okay?